All right, we got both mics set up. Uh, we got our levels checked. Okay, I think we're ready. Megan. Marquez. Megan. Marquez. Oh, you excited to record uh, this week's Avant Bard? Do you know what time it is, Marquez? Uh, I believe it is September 23rd. Marquez. Do you know when this episode's coming out and what time it'll be when this episode is coming out? Uh, it will be October. Spooptember month. <laughs> Wouldn't it be Spooptober month? <laughs> Spooptober month. I'm too excited, Marquez. <laughs> It's gonna be Spooptober month. Uh, please mercifully cut to the theme song. Sporch. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater gremlins explore the creepiest frights and the eeriest ghouls of dread works inspired by that upstart scarecrow himself. William Shakes Fear. My name is Megan Scarlo. I use she her pronouns. And my name is Math Boo James Marquez. And I use he him pronouns. Just to reiterate, it's Spooptober month. Spooptober. Not yeah, yes. Spooptember month. Not Sporch. We are delving into some of the more horror-adjacent adaptations of Shakespeare during the month of Spooktober. We both very much love Halloween. Megan decidedly more so than Marquez. We, once again, 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 didn't have any quotes at the beginning of this episode. We swear that will happen still <laughs> when we're not doing a direct adaptation. But we are doing a direct adaptation today. For today, we are covering 2015's Macbeth, directed by Justin Kurzel. Wait, hold on. Should we not be saying that? Macbeth? Yeah, that, that thing that we... Should we not say it? During the whole episode? No, it's just... Is it bad luck? Is it bad luck for a podcast to say it in their recording space? No, Megan, of course not. This isn't a play production of Macbeth. We're not on the stage. We're not treading the boards. We can say Macbeth as much as we want. Macbeth, 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 Macbeth. All right, well, that proves that theory. I think we got it out of the system, though, maybe? The curse? Yeah, like, it can only happen once, right? I didn't, like, burn sage or anything, so I, I don't know. what What's a podcast curse? Like, how do you get rid of a podcast curse? Do you have to, like, spit over your shoulder and say Sarah Koenig's name as you turn around in a circle three times fast? I've got it. I'm going to put on some Kevin McLeod. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, play with some of the soundboard levels and... Pray to the gods of audacity. Okay. And then I think we're going to be safe. You have the audacity to pray to the gods of audacity, Megan? Yeah, I do. Alright. I think we should be safe now. Okay. Good. So this production of Macbeth <laughs> premiered at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival and was nominated 
for the Palm Door Award, which is the highest possible honor you can receive at the Cannes Film Festival. This film was praised for the portrayals of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth as played by Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. And, if I'm right, Megan, this adaptation was suggested as being especially spoopy. Yeah, I went online and I looked up scariest Macbeth adaptations, and then I got this one, so I was like, okay. And now I think it's time for Marquez's Actor Corner. So this film has got a couple of interesting actors in it, one of which is, of course, the previously mentioned Michael Fassbender. I know that guy. Yes. Not personally, but like, I know of him. Yes, Megan. He is a two-time Academy Award nominee who is most famous for playing young Magneto. X-Men! In the X-Men prequel. X-Men! He is the master of Magnet, Megan. I like that. He was also an android who had a sexually charged flute scene with himself in Alien Covenant. Lady Macbeth is played by Marion Cotillard. She is a one-time Academy Award winner. Take that, Michael Fassbender. You only got nominated twice. I've been nominated zero times, so what do I know? I have won every time I've been nominated. Miss Cotillard is... Very famous in France, where she is from. She is known mostly internationally for being a couple of characters in Christopher Nolan's films. Namely, she plays Talia al Ghul in Dark Knight Rises, a movie that everyone loves. And she also plays Leonardo DiCaprio's wife in Inception. I don't remember her character's name. She really is just a fridge person. Two other actors are David Thewlis, who plays Duncan in this version of Macbeth, and he was Lupin in the Harry Potter films. Just wanted to point that out in case you're a Harry Potter fan. (laughs) Finally, I just want to point out that Elizabeth Debicki is in this movie as Lady Macduff. And she is very underutilized in this film, as you will soon find out. But she was Jordan Baker in Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby. And after that film, everyone thought, what will Elizabeth Debicki do next? Because we're so excited for her career. And she's done almost nothing because Hollywood is garbage. I just have one more note in my actor quarter because I discovered this and it will never leave my mind. Which is, after this production of Macbeth, the director later went on to direct 2016's Assassin's Creed, which also stars Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. I don't think we should make fun of Tim Burton as much now. No, no, no one's allowed to anymore. But that ends Marquez's actor corner. As for the play itself, Macbeth was first performed around 1606 and is about the dangers of ambition. It is one of Shakespeare's most supernatural plays, as it involves witches, blood, and magic. Shakespeare probably put these in his play because of the recent reign of 
King James I of Scotland. We went into this a little bit in our anonymous episode because they messed up a lot by having Macbeth during Elizabeth's time. James I wrote the book on witches, also known as the Demonology. James was also worried about people taking his monarchy from him, since the history of the English monarchy was full of backstabbing and killing. I think that he was pretty justified in being afraid. But, like, he he didn't get dethroned? No, he didn't. Good for him. Yeah, probably because he was so worried. Even though this play is particularly spoopy, it doesn't really have anything to do with Halloween. Mainly because Shakespeare probably didn't really celebrate Halloween like we do. I mean, not he definitely didn't the way that we do. Yeah, for one... He can't watch scary movies. For two... He didn't go trick-or-treating. For three... They didn't really dress up in costumes. And also, like, the name Halloween didn't exist. Yes. If anything, it was just known as the night before All Saints Day. Are we ready to go into the movie? I think so. Movie time. What, Megan, is that supposed to be like the uh, projector rolling? (laughs) Megan, you could easily find a sound clip of this happening. You don't need to (laughs) do your Foley work yourself. So we begin the film with a baby funeral. So this is the moment that made most people online go, see, this is a scary version of Macbeth. This is the scariest because there's a dead baby. But you don't see the baby die. Like, if you watched a baby get killed, as you should in a Macbeth production later on. It should be Lady Macduff's kid. Yeah, and like that part's scary, but people were talking about this already dead baby funeral. Here's my thing, Megan. Dead babies aren't scary. They're sad. They are sad. But I also haven't seen a production do this. You say I have. Yes, Megan. At the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, they recently did a production that both you and I saw in which it starts out with Lady Macbeth having a baby coffin in front of her. I didn't get to see the dead baby's face in a close-up, so I did not remember that. Okay, you need to have a dead baby in your face before you're like, mm. I remember this. Ah, that's a dead baby. This is a common interpretation for Macbeth and Lady Macbeth is that they had a kid that died in the past based on one line of the text that we'll see later on. I have a whole thing about this one line. I don't like this line. People like to read a lot into one line and they point to it as textual evidence of something when it's one line but they like make whole productions based on that one line in my reading i do believe that that's the case i do think that they had a child that died and i do think it's an important thing to keep in mind when you're acting as the characters but yeah like considering that was the biggest selling point i think of this production that people were giving me and it's very short and comes up two times in visuals And it's not scary. I'm also letting my asshole flag fly a little bit. All interpretations are valid of the text. I just see people use one line to justify so much in their interpretation of the characters. And sometimes I feel like 
it overshadows everything else that the character says. Well, because I think it's an issue if you say this is the most important thing about your character, it's then a lot harder for you to make a character that has depth to it and is realistic and has variety in emotion and personality. I think we should move on from the first point that we have in this production, if only because we could talk about this a little bit later. And we will, I promise you. So we see Mackers and Lady Mackers having a sad funeral for their lost child. And then over on a hill in the distance, we see three witches. Four witches? One of them is holding a baby. I have a question. Is the baby that that one witch holding supposed to be Macbeth's baby's soul? I don't know because it's younger than Macbeth's baby was. I just Like it seems a little smaller. But that's definitely like the feeling that you get because you see a funeral and immediately see a baby. Well, also you associate the witches with the supernatural obviously, so are they here to ferry this baby's soul away? Is are they here just to be like yes soon did they indiana jones the baby's body to use it for a spell who knows not us and so the witches have their first lines in the film except they change one of the lines and i have no idea why because they say where the place upon the battlefield there to meet with macbeth First off movie, Heath is supposed to be a rhyme, even if it is an off rhyme, with Macbeth. Also, back then, it probably sounded more similar. It was probably like, upon the heath, there to meet with Macbeth, or something. Yes. On the battlefield, there to meet with Hill. Yeah, maybe it's just because people don't know what a Heath is, I guess. But, like, context clues, that doesn't matter. We're the place. When shall we meet again? Like, no one is like, ooh, I really need to know. Will it be in Thunder, Lightning, or in Rain? I gotta know the answer. Like, it's just they're saying things. They're talking to each other. It doesn't matter to the plot, the location. Because then we later see them meet with Macbeth, so we know where. We're the place? Oh, I guess it's this one, where they are now. Yep. Bothers me a lot. They also change a bit of exposition prologue that is given to a random bloody man and turn some of it into a text scroll. I don't know. It's fine. I can never take text scrolls seriously in things that aren't Star Wars. I think it's fine if only because you only get the context of what is going on from that bloody man and he's saying things to Duncan who is somebody who should probably know things that are going on like hey you remember that we're fighting the Norwegians? <laughs> that person betrayed you do you remember king so I'm kind of okay with it coming across through a scroll instead of a person that's a really fair point yeah no I think there's no way for me to take that spread of information seriously then yeah i do like however the film as the scroll scrolls up the shot comes into view as the final scroll goes off camera upwards and i think that's a very cool thing to show that transition instead of just 
cutting away and cutting back into the film. It's one of the only like true camera tricks that this movie does. And I think that it's interesting. Yeah, so we get this whole prep for battle and everyone's putting on war paint. And I'm like, okay, they look attractive. One point for the movie. Megan, you're probably the only other person I know who thinks that grime is hot. It's just like they just put a bunch of charcoal on their cheeks. And I was like, all right. Well, because I once said like, ooh, oily men. And that's attractive. And then I got like, ew, from people. I'm like, some people just look better dirty. Like Aragorn. We also pay really close attention to like this kid who it's like preteen probably yeah and Macbeth is like preparing him for battle he like ties his sword to his hand so he can't drop it and like I don't get who this kid is I was like is this Fleance who is this guess what it's no one some kid it's some kid so then we cut to a battle and this movie does slow-mo speed up shots of the visceral violence of battle showing people getting like arms chopped off and it's bloody but the thing is i watch this and i don't care at all because it's the complete opposite of the battles we saw in ron where i have no idea who's who Except for Michael Fassbender, I know he's our main character, so I guess I'm rooting for him, but I also don't know him yet, so I'm not rooting for him, and I don't know who's bad, or who should die, or who we want to live, so it's just people fighting, and they all look the same, and I am waiting for the scene to be over. What I think is happening is the movie's trying to show us that war is bad and bloody and confusing no matter whose side you're on. Or it's just bad filmmaking. I think they're just being like, and here's a battle that Macbeth is in. Another thing I want to say is this film was pointed out as being extremely visceral, and I might be desensitized from years of horror movie watching, but it's not shot in a way that makes me feel like it's super visceral like i've seen things like saving private ryan and other movies where how it's directed really showcases how disgusting and gross battle is and i really wish this film would go into it considering the themes that it wants to portray it just doesn't do that it's like a guy bites another guy's ear off isn't that violent and it's like not really, when you do it from so far away and I don't have any personal connection to this person. That's another thing. I have no connection to any of these people, so I don't care whether they live or die. Which is terrible in reality. But that's not true of reality. It's true of a film where we yes. know it's fake. Oh, if it was real people getting killed, I'd, I'd be terrified. Yeah, I would care about all of them. But they're not, so I don't. The witches are shown on the edge of the field watching the battle, and Macbeth sees them and is like, Ugh. Ladies, I like that the witches are there watching the battle. I like it. The witches are boring. Don't say that. The witches are boring, Megan. The witches get cut in so many productions or like change into something not supernatural is what I mean. So I was so excited to have witches witches, which is another reason why we chose this adaptation, because everything else on our list, they like weren't witches. And we're like, no, it's spoopy. It's Halloween month. 
witches. They're not spoopy. They're meant to be eerie, but they just kind of like stand there and stare. And to me, that's not scary. I mean, that's everyone in this film. Fair. We're in the midst of battle, and we cut to Duncan's tent, and we're now in the next scene. And they have the bloody man here. Because even though he wasn't there to provide the exposition for the scene, he is there to provide the resolution of the battle. Which is, he sliced the Norwegian king in twain, and we get to see it, and it's so bloody it's from neck to nape like they describe in the play like he just takes his sword and just marquez no he just slices him in the belly he just slices him in the belly from side to side macbeth is supposed to tear this guy in half fuck apart and he just does it in half vertically is what he's supposed to do this is a movie here's my question if you want to change he to battlefield why not take out from nape to neck and just say cut him in twain and or I, something and i get that maybe the bloody man is over exaggerating macbeth's greatness and maybe that's a part of the themes of the play is that people are playing up how good macbeth is but also i want to see a man get chopped from nape to neck you have the ability to show these things. You have millions of dollars that a play production doesn't have. And you also have the ability to use special effects, which a play doesn't have. I want to see a man get chopped from nape to neck. Okay, how many adaptations can you name Marquez that have that? None. Yeah, so I don't think you should be too hard on this one for not having it. I I, think you should be hard on them for keeping the line and showing something different. I want to see. I also, though, want to say, thank God that they have this mostly as voiceover while showing more of the battle. Because honestly, just standing in a room and watching a bloody man talk is boring. Yeah. And no film should ever do that because they can just have voiceover. So thank God. I also just want to say that usually the traitorous Thane of Cotter is not in the scene with Duncan. And it must be rough. And I actually like this interpretation where he's there when Duncan looks him in the eyes and tells him, I trusted this man and he betrayed me. But he doesn't like address him because that's not what he does in the text. But it gives it this cool interpretation of, I can't even see this man standing in front of me because I used to trust him. It's pretty cool. So the way that they kill the Thane of Cawdor is that he gets arrowed. That's it for him. He gets arrowed. We see more of him than I've ever seen in any production. But still, hi bye. Hi bye. The witches. In the next scene. The way we find them is they are scavenging the corpses of the battle. They are moving the bodies. They are collecting blood from them. I am so happy. You say you don't like the witches They're boring. that much. I don't care what you say because in like every production I see, it's just like, oh, and there they are standing there doing nothing. It's and I'm- creepy. They come out of the mist, Megan. That's the whole point no i want to see them draining a dead body of blood to be like all right we're gonna make you drink this later buddy please no it's more realistic and it's better 
They're not on the battlefield in the actual play. Macbeth and Banquo are going somewhere. They're just traveling. They're going home. And that's boring. Yeah, I understand, Megan. But you can't say that you want this interpretation in the text. When no, it's... I just want them doing something in the text. The fact that it's just like, and they appear. I'm just like, no, oh, that's boring. And then people are like, I'll do a different adaptation. Okay, what are the witches doing? Appearing? And I'm like, boring. That's fine, Megan. They have a purpose. That's great. They're still just kind of like ladies. I'm going to say something that's going to sound really mean to this production. If we're going to be mean to the witches about just being ladies, we have to be mean to every single character that shows up on screen. Oh, yeah. They're all boring. This is the most boring movie we've watched. We just covered Derek Jarvis' The Tempest, and we got really bored with that movie. But I think that at least Derek Jarvis' Tempest, the actors were... Doing interesting things. Yes. Even if I couldn't hear them. They actually, like, were making wild choices about their inflections and And stuff. they looked weird. Yes. But this is drab. It is it muted. Is, it is every middle school production of Macbeth I've ever seen, except they make some choices that can't be done on stage. And this movie was praised for these choices. This movie was like, wow, these acting choices are subtle and the costumes are realistic because the costume designer looked into an old book and found the costume design. And guess what? It's boring. (laughs) I'd be totally fine with the costumes because they're beautiful costumes. They're nice costumes. I'd be totally fine with the entire aesthetic if the acting was more dynamic. And I'd be more okay... With the acting, if everything else was more dynamic. Yeah. There's just no dynamics anywhere. I guess we're just getting into it. Macbeth is supposed to be an exciting play. Yes. It has witches and murder and you ghosts. Know, ghosts and shit. And yet this production's kind of just like, but what if it was gritty and real and like the things actually happened and they felt like they were happening? The only unrealistic moments we get are later on in the play. And even then, they still have this grounded in realism thing that was like popular post-2008. See, like, I'm so used to using the word gritty when it comes to describing Batman films now. Well, it's, that's kind of what I'm getting to. Well, but the thing is, there's always at least something entertaining in the Batman films. Yeah. I can hate them, but I can be like, wow, they've got wild weapons and like cars and ooh, alfred is an old man he's kind of funny sometimes Ooh, sometimes people whisper and sometimes they shout which this movie doesn't even have that really yes megan 2008's the dark knight really kind of ruined films for a little bit because it made a boatload of money and people thought this is what film should be like except for the fact that the dark knight wasn't that gritty And it had such jokes as, is that a bazooka? Which is a great line. But anyways. So the witches get all up in Macbeth's business, which I watched and I was like, I love this. So we went on our tantrum a little early because we've seen the whole film, as you know. In this moment, the witches are very quiet and they're very intimate and they look like they're about to kiss Macbeth as they talk to him. And I've never seen them portrayed that way. It's always shouting, hail Macbeth, hail Banquo and Macbeth, Banquo and Macbeth all hail. And it's loud and surprising. And this was so quiet. And they just said it like it was the truth. Or like there were a mother calmly talking to their child. Or a lover trying to seduce their partner into bed. And 
I was so excited. I was really happy. This is a new interpretation of the witches for me. And then we go on, and that's just basically all anyone ever does, is be quiet. Though they are more sensual with Macbeth than Lady Macbeth ever really is, which, okay. But I'm mad because this moment could be so great if the rest of the movie had more dynamics. I agree with you. I totally get your point. I really do. My problem is they're witches. I think that they should be like, we're witches. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. That's just how I feel in my heart of hearts. I just think if you're going to have the witches be supernatural, I want them to feel supernatural. And these felt like what you would find if you actually discovered Wiccan practitioners in Scotland during this time. I mean, I think that's what they were going for, though. Wiccan practices are still technically supernatural to most people. They're a spirituality, and they have spells, and they have ritual. And it's not flash and fog machines, but it's realistic. And if you're going to do a realistic Macbeth like this film is trying to do, then that's literally the best way you can do them. And I was excited about it, I think, because I usually see modern poster child Wiccan witches shown, if I see any of those, and not like more based in history while still being spooky, but like they're not drawing pentacles on the floor. But the witches are bad in Macbeth. That's my only problem with that. What are they supposed to represent? Because I don't know. In this, to me, it seems like they are Wiccan practitioners who have visions. But like, why do they talk to Macbeth at all? Why would they tell him about this if not to lead him down a path of murder? They're not trying to warn him. They're not vestiges of fate. This is not even like a film-specific thing. This is like a... Macbeth plaything. Mm-hmm. Why do the witches talk to Macbeth? I think that's something that the film doesn't think about, and the film just does. Yeah, I don't think most productions think about that. No. This is another instance where I think both of us have the thing where we tend to dislike productions of Macbeth. Yes. Because <laughs> we think Macbeth has a lot of complex things in it that people don't think about and then it just leaves a lot of questions yeah because i want to make it clear Meg and i aren't fighting (laughs) if it sounds like we disagree with each other we're just trying to parse out each other's thoughts yeah so if you think that we're fighting we're not i just want to make that clear (laughs) like i don't think megan is wrong i just want to figure things out and i had a huge block for the witches in this production, which Megan didn't, except for the fact that, you know, everyone acts like this. Yeah, <laughs> the, like the main block is a block that I will have in every production. So I wasn't going to bring it up for this production because that's just what I've come to expect from Macbeth is like, well, why do the witches do this? Because they do. No production ever tells me why they do it. IMHO, I think that the witches are evil because Shakespeare's time thought that the witches were evil. And like... I think what you were saying before is like, well, if they're Wiccan, we don't want to just say like Wiccans are bad, but it's like, yeah, but there are some bad Wiccans. Yeah, I mean, they're bad members of of any religion. So it's just like, maybe they're bad Wiccans. I don't know. Yeah, it's just one of those things where the witches get really worked up. They cut a lot of lines in this production. Yes, especially Uh, witches' lines. No, not especially, including witches' lines. Well, because that's my other point, is that Banquo here is boring because they cut a lot of his lines. I know that I'm 
already hungry for good content in this film because there's like a little moment where they're just like, mm, I don't know, this could be bad. And Macbeth's like smiling a little and Banquo's like frowning a little. And Megan went, ooh, I like that subtle acting. And I went, really, Megan? That's the most obvious choice both of those characters can make in this moment. Of Like, you could be king, but Banquo's going to look nervous and Macbeth's going to look excited. Yeah. It's literally not anything special. <laughs> they make a realistic face. Megan? Yeah. They kept Macbeth saying the word Heath in this. Dear. Mr. Curzel. Mr. Curzel. What's your deal with Heath in the first scene? Why'd you keep it here? But not in scene one. Why don't they connect? Because if they said Battlefield, he should be saying Battlefield. And if he says Heath, then they should have said Heath. I don't know, Megan. Maybe Macbeth is speaking in iambic pentameter and they didn't want to change the verse. I just rolled my eyes so hard, one of my eyelashes got stuck. (laughs) So the witches leave. And... Macbeth and Banquo finish the scene and they're talking about what happened to them, where did the witches go, things like that. What I do like is the film uses being a film in a good way in that they cut up Banquo and Macbeth's dialogue into different little scenes to portray them traveling, which means that they are having this conversation over a period of time, which I like because it gives Macbeth time to mull over things, which when you are seeing this play on stage and it happens all in one scene, you get very little time where Macbeth gets to contemplate what the witches told him. So it makes everything seem rushed. That's a detriment of having Macbeth be one of the shortest tragedies, is that he doesn't get time to think about his actions or question them. He only gets like one monologue and you're like, Did you really take the time to think this through, buddy? (laughs) And this shows that even with taking time, he still is unsure, which is good because this is a huge thing to just be told out of nowhere. Then he talks to that dead kid. Yeah, he says his monologue to the dead kid. That preteen that we talked about earlier. They show his body at like a very good moment where they're talking about like what it means and the dangers and like what could they be implying. And it's like... Look, that kid died. Aren't you sad about that, Macbeth? Like, you really ready for this? And then he starts talking to the dead kid. And I'm like, leave that kid alone, Macbeth. He's not your therapist. Let him be dead. This drives me up a wall, Megan. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I didn't notice that he was speaking to the kid. And I thought it was voiceover because the film is so dark and Michael Fassbender has a beard. So I was like, oh, it's just voiceover. Okay, that's in his thoughts, you know. And I was like, <laughs> oh no, he's um saying the words to this dead body. I was surprised that you weren't reacting when we were watching it. The choice to have him speak to this dead kid's body kind of fucks up the soliloquy for me. This will happen a lot in this film, is I think that soliloquies are meant for characters to... Mm, Is it express their thoughts to themselves? Partly, which I think speaking to like a dead body does. But it also is supposed to be that you have a relationship with your audience in soliloquies. That's kind of 
how I interpret soliloquies is you're both going through your thoughts and talking to the audience. But as a film, you don't have an audience. Well, because, like, some directors do it by breaking the fourth wall. Yes. But a lot of directors hate doing that. Yes. And to me, it doesn't work when they're just talking to either dead bodies or another character that doesn't react. Because you're parsing through things, you're making important points. And in the time of Shakespeare, the audience would be there, the audience would be lively, the audience would be interacting. And if you don't have an audience that interacts, some of this stuff just doesn't work. I don't know how you would fix it. I don't know how you would do it. I just think that film has a wall there. There's something that you can't fully get what is going on without an audience in front of you. And I think that that's just a purely theater thing. My thing about him speaking to the corpse of a teenager is I think a main through line of Macbeth is watching Macbeth break down as a human. And if you start the play with him very quickly speaking to a corpse, you set the starting point very low on how to get worse mentally. Could Banquo hear him talk to this corpse? Well, he's definitely speaking out loud to a corpse. It'd be like if I started to talk to this water bottle in front of me. But instead it was a bleeding corpse. What if you, Megan, walked up to me and saw that I was talking in verse to a water bottle and you were like, hey, Marquez, are you having a soliloquy right now? Because they make it diegetic, that's how I picture this going on, is if Banquo could just walk up to Macbeth at any time and be like, you uh, thinking about um fate and the witches right now? Are you uh maybe uh questioning some things right now? The next big moment is the introduction of Lady Macbeth. This is an incredibly well-known monologue. In our discussion with Casey Wildermott, he talked about in Midsummer there being certain moments that every audience member looks for. Yes. Unsex Me Here is one of mine. So since this is such a well-regarded production and everyone is talking about how great Lady Macbeth is, I was excited. And the scene is set up in a very beautiful location. It's simple, it's dark, which, I mean, everything is. How do you read a letter in the dark, Megan? How well, are you reading this letter? Well, it's written on dark leather with black ink. So, I mean, I really like that it's on leather. That's very cool. But yeah, it's dark, like everything. But otherwise, I'm like, oh, it's a very nice little chapel area. It's pretty, I guess. So... It sucks, right? So like... the whole point of this monologue, if you don't know, is that she realizes... That if he's going to become king, that means he has to kill Duncan. And she's like, he's too wimpy. He's never going to do it. I need to have the strength to make this happen. So she's like, fuck all these gendered, oh, I'm a woman, I'm dainty, I'm fragile. She's like, no, unsex me here. Fill me with cruelty. I need this to happen. This is the best thing that will ever happen to us if I can just be mean enough so like you kind of feel like there should be some strong emotion happening maybe some movement maybe some raised voice maybe some terse breath but there isn't 
they just like kind of like set up the camera right there in in Marion Cotillard's face and they're just like go well you know we can't use multiple shots for this it's just gonna be this close-up you could do multiple takes you could have a wide shot where she moves once again we've mentioned this before but she speaks so quietly that's like are you trying to hide this from someone there's no one around you Oh, wait, I forgot. They want it also to be diegetic. They want everything to be diegetic. And I so, think that can be diegetic. Yeah, I understand, Megan. Because it's not like she's a queen and has, like, a court surrounding her that would hear her. Yeah, it's the fact that she doesn't get louder. It's the fact that there is nothing to show that she should be being quiet here. Besides that she's in a chapel, I guess. No one else is there. No one else is there. You can speak freely. Of course, we don't blame Marion Cotillard for this because shot composition is up to the director. And there's only so much you can do. Right, if they're telling you the shot is from your shoulder to your other shoulder, forehead to chin, that little bit of space. And so... She can't emote wildly or strongly. If you rob an actor of the ability to emote, I think it ruins... The monologue, because those things are supposed to be expressive in a theater. And if you confine them into this space, you're not allowing them to properly portray the monologue. And so it fails. And to make up for this, they rely on an underscore of music to, oh, really make it emotional. And I'm like, you could have made it more emotional if you let her have range. Yeah. And they cut to images, and I'm like, you could have cut to a wide shot of her emoting. Yeah, we like to talk about productions that utilize filmmaking to the benefit of your piece and showing things you can't show on the stage. But what this production likes to do is it likes to put things in that, in my opinion, are to the detriment of the text. It doesn't enhance the text. It is to the detriment of the text. I love to see a close-up of a subtle cry that I wouldn't catch in the cheap seats of a theater. But big moments, you should let them have their space. Yeah, because they're big moments for a reason. Macbeth shows up before Duncan arrives in order for him to spend the night. And we get our first moment of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth as a couple. It's not intimate. It's not sexy. Which, honestly, I'm fine with. I'm bored of, like, really sex-driven Macbeth couples, because that's often how it's shown. I agree with you, Megan, but at the same time... It would give anything of emotion to this, so you'd be up for it? I just want to see them be intimate. They don't need to be sex. You want to see them care. Yes. (laughs) And, like, they give you a peek of that with the fact that she helps him on armor, at least. Like, they're not completely unattached but they just both already seem like people whose souls have been ripped from them which i guess you could say it's because they just buried their baby at the beginning of the film yes that is why they did it this way megan i can almost assure you but the fact is hey guess what they don't talk about their dead baby and i know people don't bring that up with each other but it is all not textually supported that was the point i wanted to make about the dead baby the dead baby interpretation is that you will have a lot of lines and interpretation of how they 
interact as a couple. It is not based on the lines that they say in the scene. It is based on a line that they say later that the director has determined is the whole basis for their relationship. It doesn't matter what they say to each other here. It is completely overshadowed by the fact that they lost a child. What they're doing now and how they're interacting with each other now is all enforced by that one choice. And I don't think it's justified in most cases unless you really focus in on it, which this movie is doing way too many things in order to really focus in on it. At this point in the scene, they are still just whispering a lot, and this is one of the few times I will excuse it because we have been shown that now there are other people nearby, and they are explicitly talking about killing the king, so this part, yeah, whisper! Yeah. I just wish you'd been louder before. That's the thing, you need levels in order to justify whispering, (laughs) because you need to show we are here able to speak openly in this scene. Oh no, there's someone here, so we can't speak the way we were. But if it's all just the same, there are no levels, and so nothing is justified. And nothing feels like it happens, because it feels like you're in the same place, in the same situation, with the same parameters, because you're talking the same. I'm going to try not to complain about that so much, because I'm just going to say right here, that's basically how every line is said in this film. Almost everything is whispered, everything is at least somewhat devoid of emotion. Well, I'm sure it'll still come up again on big moments that it bothers us, but just in general, remember that fact. Duncan arrives, and a bunch of children sing a welcome song to him. Why? We talked before about, like, there are songs in Shakespeare, but not in this play. There are songs in Shakespeare, but not in this play. And... It doesn't add anything. Maybe it adds that Duncan's a good guy. He's having a good time. We associate him with just liking a children's choir. Or like Lady Macbeth and Macbeth are such good hosts until they're not. (laughs) Which they also show elsewhere, Megan. You don't need a children's choir to show that. I also like that they choose to transpose Duncan's lines about declaring Malcolm as next in line for the throne here because it gives Macbeth more immediacy to make his decision about the king and whether he should kill him. Because normally Duncan says this way earlier before Lady Macbeth brings up killing Duncan And it's not in his mind, but now what she said is fresh in his mind when he announces this. So it's like, oh no, I need to kill him now because it's not like I'm next in line for the throne. So it's a good transposition, I think. Yeah, I like that choice. So we have another very famous soliloquy of Macbeth's. His whole, if it were done when tis done, then twere well it were done quickly moment. Which, in itself... Pretty good tongue twister. But it falls under the same issue where this whole film falls for soliloquies. Because, like, he can't talk to the audience. And it's so flat. I wrote a note here that said, If I ever saw a stage production where Macbeth said this monologue this way, I'd be furious. Because it's a really important moment for his character. And yes, he seems stuck. And unsure, and that's good, but even that is muted. Well, Megan, maybe Macbeth is supposed to share his worry with the audience, but he can't. That's 
honestly probably the biggest issue that this film has. Like, if they were like, just look at the camera, then we probably would be complaining far less. It's very hard to do effectively. Oh, yeah. I usually laugh or, like, get really weirded out if someone breaks the fourth wall. You just need to be a highly charismatic actor in order to pull it off. I think the problem is it just isn't part of filmic language to do this. The big short does it, too, where it's all monologues. But you have to establish that this work is going to be breaking a few conventions in the beginning in order to justify it. Anyway. The scene progresses, as it always does, to Lady Macbeth coming over and being like, WTF, bro? This is one of my always look out for in a production moments is the if we fail, we fail, screw your curses, sticking place, and will not fail. That's one of my big moments to look out for. I think this is one of the best acting scenes for a duo. Yeah. I just think this one is so good because there's so much nervousness and anger and betrayal, and there's so many emotions except in this film where it's just a lot of whispering, and I just want her to even clench her jaw anything give me anything yeah it is because this scene is happening during a party so you've got that added tension when they're talking that you're like "Ooh, they could be caught in any minute so they have to be careful about what they're saying but what they're talking about is so intense but then like do the mom thing like every mom does in a supermarket when they're mad at their kid and they're quiet but they have so much intensity that's not what they do and that's not what's done Instead, they just start having sex. Which is, listen, I don't hate that choice. I'm shocked. That I don't hate it? Yes. It's not good. Don't get me wrong. It's a choice. It's a strong choice. Yes. Well, because I feel like it's just making the subtext text. It is making screw your courage to the sticking place and will not fail text. Which I think that, like, if Lady Macbeth at all is trying to convince Macbeth to do this. I think that this is a tactic that she can use. I don't think that it's being used that way here, though. Like I said, there are a lot of productions where it's obvious that she uses sex to convince him. But I don't get that. But I think it's just because there's no emotion in any way. So this doesn't seem like there's any lead up. Oh, it's confused as all hell. And then suddenly he just comes and it's just done and then she's like "Mm, fix my hair time to go back out there you are correct it is confused and it's clumsy as all hell but again i think the reason is i can see the choice working and so i wouldn't say no to trying this like on stage i don't think it's unwarranted is what i'll say okay no i get that that's why i say i don't hate this it might have been a preventative one Where I said, I don't hate this, because you might think that I would, because I usually do. I was really sad that they cut the line where Macbeth tells Lady Macbeth to bring forth men children only. Because I think that says a lot about both their relationship and her as a character. But then I thought about it, and I was like, well, but the way that she's portrayed in this, it literally would make no sense for him to say that line, because she doesn't have the fire that provokes that line. Oh, also, this is obviously the scene that I was talking about early about the baby in which she says, I have given suck and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. 
and I don't know the rest of the line, bashes brains. I don't know. She talks about bashing a kid's brain, which on one hand, I get the interpretation of her saying, I know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me as we had a baby and it died. If you're going to go with a dead child interpretation, I think you need to put more weight on the fact that she says I would kill a baby again. Yeah, like if our child was alive right now, I would kill it if I swore to you as you have sworn to me. And I think that most productions don't warrant that line. They don't warrant a focus on the dead baby for the line to be warranted because of the fact she could have milked a baby when she was not a lady of the house. She could have done it like other times. She could have had a baby beforehand with Macbeth. People had babies a lot. And And they took care of others' babies a lot. Yes. And I just think that that's an interpretation that you just need to have a lot of care of if you're going to do it. And they don't have a lot of care. One thing I never see anyone do that has probably been done, I'm sure it has, because it's 2020. But if you're going to focus so much on the fact that they have a dead child, there should be a big reaction to this line. Not just from the audience, but from the actors. And from Macbeth. Macbeth should be shocked. I would probably do it like it comes out of my mouth and then I go, oh my God, did I really just say that? And then either decide, yeah, you know what? I'm sticking to it. Or be like, whoa, that came out terribly. There needs to be a weight. And this film doesn't have that weight on it. And most productions I've seen of Macbeth don't have a weight that's warranted. Like, that's a big, juicy line, no matter what it means. She's saying she would commit infanticide. Yes. And that is a big thing for someone to say. And yes, they don't have children. That is clear. So, like, I could understand it if it's just, if we had a kid, I would kill it. And we don't have kids. Because that that is at least a part, textually, of Macbeth. Is Macduff says he has no kids later on. So I get that interpretation. I want to talk about Banquo for just a bit. Because I played Banquo. And I really love Banquo as a character, despite how little he is in the play. Because he's a good person who... It's just like a moral center who warns Macbeth about things and is a good dad to his son. And this production cuts a lot of Banquo and that just leaves him as like kind of a non-entity who doesn't have like a good relationship with Macbeth. He talks about the witches and in this scene he is speaking to himself, but again, because we can't have characters say things to themselves, he says it to his son, Fleance, who's just like this little kid. And all I have to say is, Banquo, Fleance doesn't have any fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about, like, fate and the witches prophesied that I would be the father of kings. And Fleance is just saying they're like, Dad? They also cut a lot of the interaction between Banquo and Macbeth in this scene where Macbeth is going to kill Duncan and Banquo is like, hey, what are you doing up? And they have just kind of like this secretly tense conversation. And I like it in the text because it's almost like Banquo is like a final angel guardian stopping you and like reminding you of everything that's going on and like morality. He's the moral center of the play. Yes. And, nah, we could just get rid of him. He doesn't matter. He's just a guy who's a dad and then he's dead. 
And then we get to another very famous moment, the dagger speech. I just want to pop in right here and say, Marquez feels very strongly about this. I don't really care about this choice. So I'm going to give Marquez the floor and I might interject at some point. Remember that boy who died at the beginning of the film on the battlefield? Well, he's carrying the titular dagger he sees before him. And my problem with this interpretation is Macbeth doesn't talk about this boy. He doesn't mention this boy because this boy is a complete fictition of the director in order to give him some sympathetic through line throughout the film, but it doesn't work for me at least. And so the boy just has this dagger and I don't care about this boy. I don't care what it means for the interpretation. In the plot, I will tell you the answer is, well, it's his grief, Marquez. Over the boy dying? Because he led that boy into the battle he died. Duncan led that boy into the battle to die. He put the paint on the boy. He tied the sword to the boy's hands. He was the leader of that fight. I would like all of this if at any point Macbeth had any lines that indicated that he felt bad about the people who died in the battle at the beginning. Can I tell you my real practical reason I think they did this? Because it'd be silly to have a dagger floating? Because they didn't want to do CGI of a floating dagger. It's much easier to just do ghostly makeup. Have it in a mirror that he looks That's at. That's still hard, Marquez. Do mirror, I, like, or have it be a dagger of his mind. You don't have to have an interpretation of the dagger. The whole dagger thing is difficult to stage effectively. Because you either need to have a silly dagger floating, you need to have some different interpretation of the dagger or hot take, Megan. The actor pictures the dagger floating in the air and portrays to the audience that there's a dagger there. God forbid that an actor visualize something in the space that isn't there and portray it to an audience. God forbid that we have to have a literal representation of a dagger and we need to make up a dead boy. I guess this means that you're spoiling the fact that in the banquet scene, there's obviously going to be an actual ghost of Banquo. Yes, and that's much easier to have in a production. But like, you don't need this boy ghost. It's nothing. This They've is been nothing. bringing this boy up a lot because I think this is one of the choices of trying to humanize Macbeth or make Macbeth seem more kind because we hear all the time that Macbeth is too full of the milk of human kindness but we're not really shown that in the play we're just told that so I think this is trying to build off that and be like see he cares and he regrets and he has guilt but like you said we don't actually see that anywhere in the play we're just told it one time by Lady Macbeth yeah who is just saying it because he doesn't want to kill a king listen I don't want to kill a king who's my friend like, you can be a bitch and not want to commit regicide. Yeah. Anyway, I had to get all that out of my system about the dagger scene. It's also not that interesting because, once again, Fastbender isn't really doing much. Duncan gets killed. He gets stabbed so much. Okay, so 
This scene actually probably has some of the strongest choices of this film. <laughs> yeah. Is this small moment. Yep. And I actually like this scene because it's weird. <laughs> it is very weird, Megan. So Macbeth goes into Duncan's tent, puts a hand on him, which wakes him up. And he looks right at Macbeth and is like, huh? My friend Macbeth? And then Macbeth stabs him like seven times. And one, I love seeing Duncan's death. Because I like seeing death portrayed in things where you don't normally see the death. Yeah. Two, I love Duncan staring at him while he gets killed. Yeah. Because when it's like, well, he killed him in his sleep, it's usually like, nah, boring. Well, they don't show it usually. Yeah. But like you assume that it's like, well, he's asleep and then he's dead. But this time he was asleep, then he was awake and looking at him as he killed him very bloodily. Yeah, it's, I I like him getting stabbed a lot. I'm a horror movie fan, so I'm just like, mm, death. It's very like psycho. It was very sour Michael shame. Myers feeling. Yes. I mean, that's the thing. If I have to give this film anything, I guess their interpretation is Macbeth is emotionless because he's a Michael Myers type who's just going to silently walk into a tent and just fucking stab you seven times because he feels like it. My favorite thing is that Macbeth kind of just lies next to Duncan's dead body like, hey, what's up? I just killed you. Man, what a day, am I right? Oh, man. Nine to five. <laughs> also, we get to see the horses going mad yeah. outside, which is a thing that's brought up in the play, but you typically don't see it, and no one like does sound effects for it usually, but it's just like, the horses went mad, and whoa. But we see them, like, freaking out. And I like it. Thank God Macbeth got out of bed before Malcolm walked in. Because he would have thought that he was sleeping with his dad and, and also murdered him? Yeah! Oh, wait, Megan, I forget. Malcolm walks in on him, having murdered his dad. And he's, like, still covered in blood, just staring at the body. And Malcolm's like, hey, uh, what's up over here? And Macbeth's just like, the fountain of your line, blah, 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 whatever. The king is dead. And it's like, oh, did uh, you do that? Honestly, I like this because usually it makes no sense that Malcolm runs away after discovering his father is murdered. Because his reasoning is, we'll be murdered too if we stick around. We should leave. Which, like, that makes no sense. Or they'll think we did it. It's like, you're next in line. Yeah, they're going to think you did it. But they have no proof whatsoever. Just like they have no proof that Macbeth did it. Unless, of course, you walk in on him. And he says, your father's dead. And he's covered in his blood. Looking like the most suspicious man in the world. And then goes up to you. Stares you dead in the eyes with his dead eyes and says, the fountain of your line has stopped. I would also probably run away. But also, Malcolm, just um, stick around and tell people what you saw. Yeah. So then we have the Lady Macbeth, Macbeth meetup scene, which I don't like in this interpretation. No. Because A, they're in like tents and... It's not a manor or a castle, so they don't get, like, the as-I-descended really quick exchange that they get where they're all worried, and they cut a lot of it, and it's mostly just relegated to, did you do it? Yeah. Oh, Macbeth hath murdered sleep. Oh, the daggers. You better wash your hands, except that it's raining. It's rain. A little water clears us of this deed. You mean, like, all that water that's pouring from the sky right now? So, like... You're fine, right? Yeah, it's weird to me because 
it's so dark, it's so gritty, and it's raining, so you can't even really see the blood on anything. No, and they were like, Lady Macbeth comes back and it's like, my hands are of your color. Um, I couldn't tell that either of them had any blood on their hands at all. Instead of washing his hands or anything, they just have like a scene where Michael Fassbender just takes a bath in a river, and it's fine. And then he kind of goes back and has a conversation with Lennox and Macduff. And they they just show up. There's no porter, which is fine because there's no door for them to open. And the porter is long and frankly unnecessary, to be fair. I like the porter. I played the porter. The porter's not necessary. It's just fun. Since there's no fun, it would make no sense for there to be a porter. There's no fun! Megan, I think it would be fucking hilarious if they <laughs> cut every- the porter. Yeah! They're like, and this is a darker production. You're just like, knock, 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 who's there in Beelzebub's name? So one thing I want to say, I like the actor who plays Lennox in this movie, because I think he says his lines well with interesting inflection. Yeah. The director once again changed a word randomly. He changed the line about chimneys and said the word temples, and I don't understand at all. I get that they're intense, so yeah, we don't have chimneys. But temples? Just keep the old line. Keep the original line. It's not hurting anyone. People will just be like, that's what Shakespeare wrote. And forgive you. We talked about before how the film cuts all the funny shit, like the porter, and just funny lines in general. I am so mad because they've kept a line that I love in, but Michael Fassbender doesn't do anything with it. So Lennox describes the night that he and Macduff had and how terrible it was with the storms and everything was wild. And Macbeth responds to all of that with just the simple, "'Twas a rough night," which I think is supposed to be funny. And I would want it played funny, but here it's just thrown away, which is just disappointing to me. So Macduff checks in on Duncan and... When he comes out, he just kind of tells Lennox and Macbeth, like, oh, man, he's dead in there. That sucks. And they kind of just take their time (laughs) raising the alarms. Dead, you say? The king. King. He's dead. That king. Our king? Oh, raise the alarms, maybe? Yeah, no one seems, like, that alarmed that the king is dead here. Macduff has that adrenaline spike afterward reaction of just like suddenly vomiting, which honestly, kind of funny. Yeah. Because that's used in comedy nowadays, that yeah. delayed vomit. So it's just a really weird moment. And Macduff's not desperate at all. It's just like, the king's dead. Guys, wake up. Oh no, guys. <laughs> so they raise the alarms and they go in and... We usually don't see this moment happen in stage productions of Macbeth, but we get to see them discovering Duncan's corpse, and Macbeth slits the throats of the guards that Lady Macbeth had smeared the blood over because they wanted to implicate the guards. And Macduff asks Macbeth, Wherefore did you so? Hmm? Michael Fassbender (laughs) just does like a head tilt and a hmm hmm 
And it is the funniest part of the movie. It is fucking hilarious. There's no way they didn't think that was funny. Oh, they had to have kept it in because it was funny. I don't know why they put it in. Because they're so serious. 99.99% of the film. And then they're like, I feel like this was just a joking take. Where he was like, oh, I'm going to do something silly. And they were like, oh, we're keeping it. And I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Hmm? That makes no sense, but I'm so happy it's there. It's the best moment of the film. <laughs> it's very funny. It's not even a line from Shakespeare. Who hmm? wouldn't? Who had love, courage, ask that guy from 10 Things I Hate About You? <laughs> Obviously, this is the most romantic line of all time. As Macbeth says to Macduff, I would kill so many people because I love the king so much. So then we get like a quick Duncan funeral with Macbeth being crowned king. And usually this scene is like between Lennox and a couple of people as they're just talking randomly as they like meet up. And there's not really a good impetus for the scene to exist in the play. But here it's during Duncan's funeral and Macbeth's coronation. And it's kind of furtive whispers about what's going on. And I kind of really dig that interpretation. We then cut to Banquo giving his really good monologue about how Macbeth is now king, but he thinks he's played most foully for it. I did this monologue. Did you do it to your son who's just sitting there like, Dad? No, I did not. I did it to an audience. I literally hate it because all of Banquo's lines are monologues. Yeah. They're like all soliloquies for the most part. And so all of them are just being told to his kid. And it's so awkward. Yeah. And then Banquo and Macbeth talk for a bit about the witches and like. Man, remember how that happened? Yes. They don't have a relationship here. They didn't establish it early on. Basically, the way that this movie feels like is that Banquo was just standing there when the witches showed up and was like, oh, you're uh, here too, Banquo? Um, I guess uh... I gotta keep talking to this Banquo guy because he knows about the witches. <laughs> yep. Wait, I gotta kill this Banquo guy because he knows about the witches. And then we cut to Lady M and Macbeth having a conversation about how Macbeth wants to kill Banquo because, you know, he knows. Like I just said. Yeah, he knows about the prophecy. And usually this is after Banquo leaves that he talks to Lady Macbeth about this. But they kind of push it up, which I think makes sense logically in the film to push up this conversation. And I really like how Fassbender portrays this moment in that he seems so distant and cold but he seems like that most of the film so this is another moment where i'm like "Ooh, man if this was acting differently than normal i'd be like wow what a good choice of portraying this moment where he's deciding to kill one of his friends but instead it's like oh he's talking again because this is how he always talks yep and also like lady macbeth tries to convince him otherwise and this is the point at which You know, in the play, it's like, oh, no, I've created a monster because now he needs to kill anyone who stands in his way. And what have I done? And the way that they interpret this is that Macbeth gets a little assaulty towards Lady M. And I'm like, I hate this. It might make sense textually, but I don't like it. I don't like that he's like advancing on her and holding a knife to her womb. 
like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I think that it's the problem where they started his character at such a low point in stability and wholesomeness, I guess. Yeah. That they had to make it farther to seem like more of a digression was happening. And so he kind of leaves Lady M sitting there and she has a single teardrop go down her cheek. Like, this is all unwarranted and weird. But it's fine. Macbeth has to go get some murderers and go meet up with Banquo with the murderers he's going to send to kill Banquo. That's so suspicious. Here are three guys that you don't know and you don't trust Banquo. And I'm just going to walk up to you and say, hey, you going uh, riding with your son later? You're going to be alone? Are Don't you... pay attention to these criminal-looking men I you've never met before who are now suddenly by me eyeing you. What is your social security number? What would you say your peripheral vision is like? On a scale from 1 to 10, how soft is your body? <laughs> Just as a friend. These are my note-takers. It's a survey. I'm asking everyone. Like, what if Banquo survives? <laughs> yes, then he's gonna know. He'd be like, oh, those are the two guys who tried to kill me. Those guys who were next to Macbeth. Macbeth tried to kill me. Listen, I get that it's like, oh yeah, Macbeth's not being secretive at all here. And like, nobody wants to like say anything. But like, those are murderers. Banquo gets arrowed. They're like, well, Banquo might die. Yep, he's dead. There's they- no time. And then Fleance just stands there. As his dad's getting murdered, he stands there and the murderers are like, Well, I think that kid should die next. And like, Flance takes a moment and then runs. And he's just a kid. And these are fully grown men who are in their prime. They also have arrows as we previously And they have has- arrows. Yeah. Like, they're the worst murderers. Did Macbeth get them for free? I would not pay for this service. No. And then, like, a witch shows up, I guess because they're supposed to be, like, fate witches, which is an interpretation that the witches have sometime. They're like, Fleons, come here. You're part of a prophecy about King James. You gotta come with us. So we go to the banquet scene. The murderer who talks (laughs) is the most intimate with Macbeth since the witches. He looks like he's got to kiss him. Everyone wants to kiss Macbeth except I mean, he, for Lady Macbeth. He is played by Michael Fassbender. And this is the only scene in the entire film where people use volume. Yes. Is when Macbeth's like, I murdered everyone. And yeah. like, he's screaming. And I'm like, I get it. Like, this is the moment where he truly loses it in the play. Yeah. It's like, the one time he actually shows any high emotions. But it makes me mad that this is the only time that he shows emotion. I like that this is an awkward scene, the banquet scene. I like how awkward he makes this for everyone. Oh, yes. I love all of the secondary acting we get and shots to other people who are just like, I'm going to eat a potato now. Um. <laughs> They're finally putting emotion in a scene. So I wish they did the same for Lady Macbeth and she actually seemed worried about him because he definitely is not acting like he normally does. So I'd really like for her to be concerned instead of just like, Ugh. Again? You always get drunk at the party. That's the kind of feel I'm getting. Yeah, I want her to have complex emotions and have all of these things going on with her at once. 
where she's trying to keep the peace but also is worried about her husband and everything is happening to her all at once yeah like they just got what they thought they wanted and everything's falling apart before the scene ends we have usually where most productions have intermission which is lady Macbeth and Macbeth have a conversation about how he hasn't been getting any sleep and Macbeth is like, I'm just so worried about everything and I need to go see the witches. But before that, we get what I think is a really interesting shot where we have a long exposure shot of Macbeth standing outside of his bed in his nightgown. And it just shows like the day go by. And he does kind of that paranormal activity stand where like the girl like stands up and the camera goes forward and she just like stands there rocking back and forth. I think that's just such a good way to interpret him not getting any sleep is that he's just like standing there and like letting the time pass him by because he's so worried about things. I just think that's super cool. I thought it was a really good moment, but it's only for like a split second. And then he goes and sees the witches and the witches obviously don't have any of the double double toil and trouble nor do they say by the pricking of my thumb something wicked this way comes no they don't this is what i mean by i want the witches to be over the top because this is like it's hard to do this whole fillet of a fenny snake without any sort of camp is the word i'm looking for it's hard to i think you could i wish that they tried They just don't want to. Yeah. Which sucks also because I think by the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes is a cool line. Even if they just had that line and none of the rest, it's a pretty dark and gritty line. Yeah. I don't know why they cut it. Why they cut everything with the witches before Macbeth shows up. They make him drink the blood though. Yeah. I actually like that. You're right. It was cool. And then instead of seeing a procession of weird ghost guys... Instead, he sees a procession mob of, like, zombie dead people he fought with in that battle who all died and are all just kind of stumbling past him as they looked in death on the battlefield, just mumbling and saying random snatches of lines. And I like it. I really like it. I think it fits this really well, and it's a good choice, and I've always hated the ghostly procession because I think it's boring and usually done terribly. So I really liked that. I don't know how to react to that, Megan. What? Do you not like it? I don't like it. Here's the thing. I just don't get this whole obsession about Macbeth as a person who cares about these dead soldiers. I don't think this moment is about caring. Why have these dead soldiers then? Well, because here's the thing. The two options really are people that we have seen die or ghosts of future people who aren't yet born and maybe someday they will be born to be Banquo's children's children's children. And that is so weird. And how do you say that that's who they are? without outright saying it. Well, if you just go, hey, look, these are people who look like he did when he was on the battlefield. Obviously, it's all the people that died. So it's just ghosts of his past coming forward. My only thing about it is why? What is this buying into? Is it buying into the whole ghost boy who he regrets? Because I, it's just it's one of those things where, again, it's trying to make this 
whole Macbeth is regretting the soldiers thing and trying to buy into that aesthetic. But I don't think that that choice is good in the film. Like, I, like, I think it fits with what the film is trying to do. I don't like it because I don't like that that's what the film is doing in the first place. See, I so. don't. I think that it is confused because I think they're not using them anymore as regret. I think they're now using it as a body count against Macbeth because he led all these people into a battle where even though the battle won, they all died. The only reason I, I'm not saying I want them to have the Banquo ghost procession. I'm not saying I want that. I'm saying I don't like this because I don't get why it's here. Another reason you could say is because he's drinking the blood of them, that that's why he sees them. To me, that makes sense. But thematically, there's a difference to me between why something happens in film and why the choice was made out of film to even focus on this as part of Macbeth's character. I think the thing is, they wanted the things that are said in that scene, and they didn't want to do a Banquo's (laughs) son's procession. Well, Megan, guess what? lazy i think it's lazy i I think i think doing something because you need to come up with an idea of how to not do something else is lazy it could have been way worse we say that we like strong choices the fact that you're reacting so adversely to it proves that it's a strong choice oh i'm not saying it's not a strong choice i just don't like it no so i'm just like i like a strong choice i hate the original scene So I will accept this. This is one of the moments that, like, the dark grittiness, I think, it's a very modern moment. I just want to say that it will never work for me because I think you could do so much better. And I'm not going to accept that this was one of the only choices that you had to make as an answer. I will not accept this from directors. You can do better instead of just coming up with an aesthetic and a theme for the work. I think that if you aren't going to do one thing, you need to do something that I think makes sense in the text. And I don't think this makes sense in the text. Macbeth never again talks about past battles that he's had or past soldiers that he's let die. And so I don't think it thematically makes sense to have it in this film. As in the play, Macbeth learns three important things. One, he ain't gonna stop being king until Burnham Wood comes to Dunstanade Hill. Two, no man or woman born can harm Macbeth. I put number three, but it was the first thing that was said. Beware Macduff. Beware the thing of Fife dismissed me enough. So he learns these three things. Kill Macduff. Kill his whole family. Don't let the woods. Anchor the trees. <laughs> so then he leaves and he runs into Lennox and he's just like, Hey, you see those weird ladies? And Lennox, of course, is like, nah. (laughs) Who? And Macbeth asks where Macduff is. And conveniently, Lennox is like, ah, Macduff fled. He's not here. You know, like traitors do. Yep. Then we have a scene where he's discussing with Lady Macbeth that he's going to kill all of Macduff's family if he can't find Macduff. And normally, Lady Macbeth is not in this scene. And he just says this to Lennox and some murderers, but not Lady Macbeth. And so she doesn't have any lines in this scene. So she's just like, shake head, no, look real sad. Yes, which granted, I like. I mean, I I like that they inserted her here. What I think that they were trying to do with having her not want Macbeth to kill Fleance and not wanting Macbeth to kill Macduff's family is 
again tying into the whole dead child thing of oh you're killing children now that's a little too much he was just an old man and like to give her a more of a reason to Lose, be the one yeah. who loses her mind in yes. the end because what if i could have stopped him what if i just said the right thing to make him listen to me instead of just looking sad so i think that that is interesting and i like that inclusion in this film but no He's killing the Macduff family. But he doesn't send murderers to their house. He just brings them to him and publicly burns them at the stake. Yeah, this is a disservice to the character of Lady Macduff. Lady Macduff has like one line now instead of a scene. (laughs) Yeah, she used to have a whole scene in which she talked about, no, your dad's not a traitor. The king is a shitbird. It's complicated. Sometimes moral actions can be considered good or bad depending on the circumstances. So even though it might look like he's a traitor, he's not. And it's like a whole scene about their murkiness of moral actions. But instead, she's just like, Macbeth's a shit bird. I'm going to get burnt now. Burnt egg. Fried. Young fried. Young fried of treachery. It works. Young fried egg of treachery. Ooh. Steak and eggs. Ooh, there it is. <laughs> the one thing is, I do appreciate that this movie's just like, we gotta wrap things up. We can't have long, ponderous scenes with Macduff and Malcolm or Lady Macduff and her kids. We need to get this plot all rolling. Boom, boom, boom. Let's just kill them all quick. Yeah, we get the scene with Malcolm and Macduff, which I would like to say I am thankful that this movie cuts this scene down because usually the scene is so long. It's weird because they keep the only memorable part of the scene and it's hard to remember that the scene is like six times longer than this part. But there's this whole thing about Macduff, you know, your family's dead. And Macduff's like, what? Murdered in their home? It's like, no. It was a public event done by the king in front of a bunch of people. The king was there. My family was slaughtered. No, they were burned at the stake in front of the king and a big audience. Wait, you haven't heard about this? That's the thing. This news would have flown to wherever he was. It was a public execution. By the king. It wasn't secretive at all. This scene makes no sense now. Also, the thing is, I usually really like this moment. Because the whole point is Macduff is sad and upset and they're like, yo, stop crying. Take it like a man, like fight him and stuff. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to feel it like a man too. Like I'm going to have emotion. But this movie goes completely against that and has him not at all sad. And he's just like, yeah, I'm also going to feel it like a man with anger and violence. And I'm like, no. That's literally the opposite of the meaning of what you are saying. Yeah, they're referencing like all these Greek heroes who are like, I can cry because the emotions are so strong that I can cry manly tears. And that's a good thing is what Shakespeare is referencing. Yes, and instead modern toxic masculinity has ruined this moment. And I'm so mad. Because he's not even sad. He's just angry and I hate it. I am filled with anger. And I think that we could stop talking about the scene, Megan. Let's just calm down, breathe deeply, and we can move on to Lady Macbeth's out damn spot scene. Let's go. 
So you know when someone loses their mind in a very visible way that a bunch of people watch and doctors take notes of? You know how that's just them sitting with a blanket and talking quietly, asking questions just very calmly, and just sitting still? No. Well, that's what it is here. Megan? Yeah. Where's the spot? She says out damn spot. And but- doesn't look at her hands or anything. She's like, will these hands ever be clean? The hands that aren't even visible right now because they're under a blanket. Also, she's got a close up. It references so much blood, hands, spots. When she is not looking at anything, we can't- referencing anything, or showing her hands at all. I don't fucking understand how critics are like, what a fucking subtle performance. I literally feel like she was given three doses of NyQuil before this scene. I just don't understand because she's not doing anything. You can't equate quietness with brokenness. There, there's got to be levels or else there's nothing. You can have quiet moments inside your broken speech, but you can't just all be that. Again, it's what we said before it's all just one note and there are no levels so why should i give a shit and it's all just calm like it's not just quiet but it's all the same pace even when the subject suddenly changes she almost makes it flow there's no jarring nature to it also at the end of the speech it is revealed that she is talking to her dead child why out damn baby (laughs) I just don't get it. It is, again, something that's like, you have one line that references Lady M's baby situation, and yet you make the out damn spot monologue, which is about Duncan's murder, Lady Macduff's murder, all of the guilt that's been boiling up inside of you, and you have it being said to a dead baby ghost. I would be fine if a portion of it was said to the baby, if they were like, oh, and in this moment she sees her baby, and in this moment she sees this thing. I'd be fine with that. But the fact that the entire monologue... It all becomes about the baby. It's all said to the baby. Why would she say it all to the baby? None of what she's saying has anything to do with the grief of losing a child. She doesn't talk about that. She says the thing of Fife had a wife, where is she? She doesn't talk about the Thane of Fife had several children that also died. Where's my child? Oh, right. Dead. If she said that, that would be a great addition, Shakespeare. That could really help us figure out Lady M's character and give us more than one line to go with. But there's only one line. It's happened like several acts ago. So it doesn't justify her just speaking everything to this baby ghost. It's fine. The baby's gone. The witches are here to say, come, get up, lady. Come on. She goes with them and is dead. Yeah, she's dead. So, like, her soul goes with them? Because she's in the bed, dead. It's not like her body's found in the forest. Or, like, that she, like, killed herself or anything and it was, like, a big shock. I just don't get it because she goes off screen with them and then she's in her bed the next scene. Yeah, and that's supposed to be, like, magic, but, like, Why? So Macbeth goes to talk to the doctor about his wife, who's already dead. And so they take two different scenes with the doctor and make them one dialogue. Yeah. And so it makes the doctor look like a terrible doctor. Because he's like, well, I'll see what I can do for her. She's dead. 
Macbeth has his tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech again. He says it to the doctor and to Lady Macbeth's waiting woman. And it again just doesn't work. He says it to her corpse a bit too. Yes, that part does work. I'm fine with that part. Except for the fact that he says she. Okay, yeah, but he looks at her and that's acceptable that's acceptable i think it works better than the other ones but it still kind of misses the mark but also here's the thing michael fassbender's doing nothing here he's doing nothing to make the line sound different when macbeth is saying it hurts to go on the world is nothing to me he sounds the same that he's sounded the past entire movie yes And this moment is supposed to have some extreme gravitas. And it has nothing. It feels exactly like any other part of this movie. He finally moves on from her corpse. And we see that the sky outside is filled with embers. Almost like California currently, Megan. I know, right? The sky is all orange. And the forest is on fire. And I think that this is actually pretty cool. Oh, it's the best. This is actually the best choice that they made. Yes. Because the whole bringing Burnham Wood to Dunsinane is usually like, I'm going to cut off some branches and walk them over to hide me. Look, the forest is moving. But this is like, no, they burnt the forest down and the embers of the forest are reaching Dunsinane. And I'm like, the forest moved to Dunsinane by the wind and the embers and wow. Also, they're burning the trees to cover their approach with the smoke instead of using the branches. And I think that's tactically great. That's tactically far better. Yes. Honestly, all we have left is like a fight. There is a lot of back and forth that happens in the text that this movie just cuts right out. And... Well, because they'll be like, here's a little scene with these two people fighting. But uh, where's Macbeth? Go to this scene. It's Macbeth. But where's Macduff? Oh my god, guys, just get Macbeth and Macduff together. We get it. We need to end this now. So this film does that. And I'm happy about it. He like enters the fight and then suddenly it's a turn, hellhound, turn. And I'm like, oh Whoa, shit. shit. We're at the end. Also, turn, hellhound, turn. Love that line. Often feels a little weird on stage because like they're usually actors that like sometimes came from the same entrance. Yeah. And then it's just like, didn't you just see each other? And also, the stage is small. And yeah. In film, it's a lot easier to have someone suddenly come up on someone else. Also, it's smoky and red sky, so yeah. it's like, it comes out of nowhere. So they fight. It's just a fight. It's not particularly well choreographed. It's not bad. It's not epic. It's yeah. just, it's a sword fight. The thing is, I think something like this is far more impressive on stage because you could see the swords in front of you and actors wielding the swords. And you know they only had one shot to do it. Yeah. Well, like in a film, you're like, how many times did it take them to do that one swing to make sure it was done safely? And I know, like, I don't knock stage fighting. I think that it's a legitimate thing that film people do, but I think that it's just way more impressive. You have to do a lot in film in order to impress for an action sequence. Yes. Because the bar is set so much higher. For theater, the bar is set low because you know that it's something that they have to do practically on stage. And they have to consider, like, your safety as an audience member. Yeah. So, like, when Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible is climbing the tallest building in the world, and it's a practical effect, you're like... Man, just kind of two guys swinging swords at each other just doesn't seem uh, all that impressive. 
I think that at this point, when the dead soldiers show up and the witches show up to surround Macbeth and Macduff, I think this works because they're back on a battlefield and it's like, well, one of these two is about to die and join the ranks of these undead soldiers. I think it works more here than it does elsewhere. I do also wish, though, that it was everyone who's died. Okay. I wish everyone we saw die That's, was here. Banquo's ghost could be here. That'd exactly. be pretty cool to be like, hey, buddy. Yeah, so that you could also be like, who are they rooting for? Or do they care? Yeah. Or are they just here to welcome a new dead person? I think Lady M should be here with the witches. Yeah, I think their baby, Lady M, Banquo, the whole Macduff family. I'd love to see Macduff's wife and Lady M watching this final fight together. Yeah, that'd be great. Do you want to talk about it, Megan? Because how this fight ends, I disagree with immensely. The fight is so lackluster to begin with. And the ending is unbelievably lackluster and hypocritical of itself. Macbeth is like, I don't want to fight anymore. I give up. Yes. You win. And then he's like, cool, surrender. And Macbeth says, never, I'll fight till I die. And I'm like, you literally, but he like gives him his sword. He's just like, I'm giving up. I have no weapon now. So kill me and I'll never surrender. It makes no sense, Megan. I get that you're saying like, I'd rather die than become a prisoner, I guess. But, like, that's not what the line is. No, what Macbeth is supposed to be doing here is he's supposed to learn that, oh shit, Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. My fate prediction no longer applies. Welp, I'm just going to fight against fate because fuck it. And I am in blood steeped so far that to return were as tedious is... as to go o'er, or however that line goes. No, Megan, you did that line perfectly. That's what Macbeth's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, well, fuck it. Might as well, because... I'll either die as a coward giving up, or I will die as I lived fighting for my victory life. and my life. Yeah, he's yeah. going to do the second one at this point. It's really weak and weird for him to suddenly be like, I'm giving up, except I'm not it, but I really I am. It just doesn't make any sense. Yep. He does a thing I hate. Where, like, it's the line of, like, till one of us cries, hold enough, or whatever. Yes. And he just screams the word enough. Enough. With no emotion, it's just volume. It's just shouting. And one, I hate when any actor does that in a play, because I think it does nothing. And two, it's another one of those moments where I'm like, so you can be loud, huh? Why weren't you loud earlier? Yep. <laughs> and then he dies. Yep. And, hey now, in Macbeth, Usually how the play ends is Macduff says, here's the usurper's cursed head. And Malcolm, you're the king. Hail, king of Scotland. Hail, then, king of Scotland. And then Malcolm proceeds to do a little speech. Boring. Cut it to hail, king of Scotland. And this film does cut that last speech. And I'm so happy it but does. But they still do more. Well, not The yet. movie's not over, though. Yeah. I still think they should have just stopped at Hail King of Scotland. They definitely Roll should. credits. They definitely should. Because what they do instead is they have Fleance show up. Oh, the witch has led me to this battlefield. And he sees Macbeth's sword and picks up the sword. And we cut to Malcolm. In his throne room. Just like, ah, yes, I am I'm king. king. 
and then Fleance runs off with Macbeth's sword. And then Malcolm runs towards an open door like, ah, yes, I am currently king. So are they implying that Fleance wants revenge, quote unquote, on Malcolm? I think people have said that it's just like, well... He took Macbeth's sword, which proves that the, the witch's cycle prophecy... Continues. Yeah, the cycle continues, and the witch's prophecy was a thing. So is he gonna kill Malcolm? Megan... Why <laughs> would he kill Malcolm? It's literally only because of the witch's prophecy saying that Fleance will become king. It doesn't matter right now. Right, and so, like, are we to believe that the witches, while they were walking Fleance to the battlefield, were like, by the way, you're gonna be king, so if you see any swords or anything, you should probably grab them so you can stab Malcolm. And I'm okay with the interpretation of Macbeth being the cycle of violence will never end. I'm okay with that, except this feels really forced and weird. And so, I don't like it. And we leave the film on kind of a sour note instead of a cool note of Hail King of Scotland. Yeah, it just kind of makes it confusing. Yep. The end. I think that's all we have to say on 2015's Macbeth. We might be done, but I have something that I think Shakespeare's Macbeth would say to this version of Macbeth if it saw it. What? Their candles are all out. <laughs> Funnier than it should be. Megan, what would you rate 2015's Macbeth? I would rate it one teen boy ghost out of three and three fourths witches. How about you, Marquez? I would rate it four ruined soliloquies out of four. That sounds like a high ranking, but remember, these are failed soliloquies. So they got a 100% rating on doing things wrong. I get you. With that, we end this episode on 2015's Macbeth for real. Everyone enjoy your spooptober. Next time, we're going to do something a little different for our true spooptober. So until then, we will scream you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlo. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod.